Let's take our Bibles now. We're going to go to the book of Philippians. We've been going through Philippians for several months now, and, uh, and, and there's so much in this book to, to take note of. The theme of Philippians is made up of three things. One is thinking, the mind, thoughts. The other is joy, rejoicing. And the third, and the most important, is Christ. If we take those three sub-themes, so to speak, together, then we can understand what, what Philippians is teaching us is how to have joy through the mind of Christ. It's not just about Christ. We know Christ, and we have salvation because of, of what we just heard sung about. It's not just thinking smarter. It's not just be happy, Christian, you're going to heaven. It's how to have joy now, in spite of the problems and, and trials, how to have joy right now by accessing the mind of Jesus Christ. And in, in fact, he says, let this mind be in you. Let it be in you. And we're going to see today that it is possible to be a believer and not have joy and peace in your heart. In fact, to be a person who is at constant turmoil and contention, all while being saved. Let's read together. First, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 14 down to verse 17. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, we think of that as a good thing, and, and it is. But he goes on to talk about these people who, these brethren in the Lord, who are much bolder now. Watch how the crowd divides. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So these two camps that developed as a result of Paul's being in bondage, as a result of finding courage in their hearts, increasing in boldness, these camps divided into two, the lovers and the fighters. You've heard people say, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Well, that's what this church in Philippi, uh, I'm sorry, in, in, in Rome said. Paul's writing from Rome, and he's finding out here that there are two different major groups in the church. The lovers, the ones who served and preached out of love, were motivated by their love for Jesus Christ and their love for the Apostle Paul. But there were the fighters as well. The fighters were motivated simply by competition. These may have been, I'm going to give you a theory, I don't know this is exactly the case, but these may have been and seems probably to have been leaders in the church at Rome who heard that Paul was planning to come to Rome and it kind of threatened them. It bothered them just a little bit. If they had been the ones who had first preached the gospel at Rome, 
If they were the ones who helped found the church in Rome, then you can understand that they would have been tempted to feel that they owned the church. Now, Paul founded several churches. He was a dynamic preacher in the sense of getting the gospel out. He was not an, he was not an orator. That was Apollos' job. He was not someone that had an excellency of speech. He said, I'd be rude. He said, I, I, I have, uh, my speech is called contemptible by some. I'm kind of bumbling a little bit when I talk. And one of the things that, that Paul had was this insatiable desire to see people saved. And, and, and to, he said in Romans chapter 15, he said, I don't want to go where, where Christ is named because I don't want to build upon another man's foundation. It is difficult to, 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 to build something on the foundation of someone else. And, and, and I'm realizing that in this, this house rebuilt that I'm trying to, to you, the, the, the foundation is, has to, you have to adjust your plans to the foundation. Paul said, I don't, I don't want any restraints. I want to just go and preach the gospel and not worry about anybody else. Well, one place he never got to go, he intended to go, he never got to go, was Rome. And it was the capital of the empire. It was the center of the universe. In Paul's mind, it, it was, I mean, New York City, it was London, you, you name it. It was the center. It was the place to be, and he wanted to go. And what's interesting is when Paul writes to the Romans, he's not writing to them as, as people that he dearly loved and knew. He's writing to them as believers. God has a way of balancing out our victories and our trials. He has a way of letting us do some things exclusively and then hindering us from other things that we might really, really want to do. He balances those things out. Paul, it's called the gospel of the grace of God. It's called the, the gospel which was committed unto me. Paul received the revelation of the gospel of the grace of God, and yet he was not privileged to be the one that started the church of Rome. In fact, there, there, it looks that there, it looks to see, it looks to be that maybe there, there was a division that developed between the Apostle Paul and the church at Rome, at least the leaders of Rome. You see, these are the guys are the ones that were in Rome before. This was their turf. This is what they had done for God. Never forget years ago, talking to, uh, to someone about nurse, someone in a nursing home ministry asked me, uh, they said, uh, hey, do you want to come and preach in the nursing home? And, and the guy was, he was a younger guy in the Lord and, and uh, I, I said, yeah, sure, I'll come. He's like, I just want you to sing. And uh, I said, okay, I'll come and sing. And I knew, I knew that he guarded the nursing home pulpit pretty closely. And so I kind of teased him. I said, you, you don't want me to preach? He said, no, that's my ministry. <laughs> it, it was his turf, and, and rightfully so. He was there. He was serving the Lord faithfully. But I kind of see that, maybe a little bit of, of that mindset here in Rome. They knew that... When, when Paul came, he kept saying, I'm coming to Rome. I'm going to come and see you, right? They knew that if Paul came, there's going to be some folks that, that end up down at the jail saying, uh, I'm here to see Paul. What are visiting hours? Can I talk to Paul? I got a really big, big decision to make. Or I got a question about how the Messiah uh, is presented in the Old Testament. And, and, and I'd like to see if he'll give me some, uh, some, some guidance, some feedback. 
And, and you could almost sense that with Paul, a guy who was a dynamo in the gospel, when he showed up, even though he was in prison, it actually might have increased the mystique, the intrigue about Paul. Here's a guy who doesn't just talk about the gospel. He got thrown in jail because of the gospel. This guy's powerful. Paul had never been there to that church at Rome. He hadn't preached in it. He hadn't, he hadn't been the guy who had altars flooded because of his preaching there. And so you can see how there would have been a little division beginning to form. And it was going to take a lot of humility for the, these leaders at Rome to welcome Paul in and to kind of step aside a little bit from their dominant role and say, man, the apostle Paul's in town. We need to hear from him. I mean, he couldn't attend their services. You know, preachers, we, we guard that pretty close. I mean, if you really want to follow the Lord, then you'll be under my ministry. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's the same for everyone. Mom cooks a meal. Nobody wants to eat my meal. I, I put all this time and effort into it, right? Your kids, you, 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 uh, you take them on vacation and they complain. Dads are like, we ain't going on vacation again. You know, a pastor can say, well, if you ain't coming to church, I got nothing to say to you. It's just easy to do. And you can see the Roman, the Roman pastor or leaders in the church saying, look, Paul, he got himself into trouble. I don't, I don't know what to tell you about this guy. I mean, he's a, he's a jailbird. I mean, look at me. I'm a preacher. I'm not in jail. How, how, how many of the leaders do you know that ended up in prison? I'm not saying Paul did anything wrong. Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he's in jail. And you're, <laughs> I'm not in jail. You know what God needs? You can hear him talking. You know what God needs? Some, some men who can stay, keep their ministries clean. So, some men who can be faithful and consistent and not run afoul of authorities. You see, God has placed authorities. I'm speaking. Are you with me? God has placed some authorities in the world. God has placed authority in the home. God has placed authority in government. God has placed authority in church. Looks like Paul's having trouble with two out of three. Can, can you pick up the, the, the gist here? You see, it's easy. It's easy to look at someone who's having some trouble and know right away why it is. It's really easy. We've all done it. The truth is, somebody was secretly envious of Paul's ministry. And with him out of the way, the Bible tells us that with him in jail, they were now bolder to stand up and preach publicly. Some, some of them thought this way. Well, Paul, he's having a rough time, and I know Paul loves the Lord. And man, if a guy like that can get thrown in jail, maybe I ought to be willing to step out and do something for God. Some of them said, <laughs> you know what? That actually is something I've been thinking about for a while. God, why would you let a Yahoo like this have all this influence? Lord, look at me. I've kept my nose clean. I've been faithful. I'm as good a preacher as he is. And when he got thrown in jail, they just had a kind of a little, thank you, God. Thank you for finally validating my ministry. And they stood up and they thundered because now they knew that, they, that God was on their side. I'm going to talk to you this morning about something that's really, really weird to talk about. People who are saved 
who do it for the wrong reason, who preach, who, st- who live for God, who witness for the wrong reason, and people who are saved who do it for the right reason. It's really weird. Hang on. You ready? Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife. You know how we normally read this? We think, well, there were some people out there, the Judaizers. There were, there were some, you know, guys who pretended to be saved. Some, some people who, who wanted that power and glory, and so they acted like they were preachers. That's not what he said. Notice in verse 14, these were brethren in the Lord who were emboldened because somebody got clapped in prison. Somebody got thrown behind bars. So what do we got? Well, I'll tell you what we got. We've got two different camps. One, they do it out of the wrong motivation. The second, they do it out of the right. He says they preach Christ even of envy and strife. They preach Christ, verse 16, of contention, not sincerely. That tells us this. Some, simply because someone is preaching the same Christ, he didn't say it was a different Christ. He didn't say it was another gospel. That would be easier to handle. He's talking about people who are preaching the same Jesus Christ, who are preaching the gospel of the grace of God, They are brethren in the Lord, and they're doing so out of contention. Every camp of Christians has a little crowd in it that just wants to fight. They enjoy fighting. And they could tell you, they could give you in their sleep, they could tell you, the list of things that they are standing against. But they have a hard time telling you what they're standing for. It's a lot easier to scream about what you hate than it is to faithfully stand for what is right, for what you love. These fighters here, they're they're teaching and preaching not to see souls saved. They're teaching and preaching so that some other Christian is torn down and ignored or hindered because for reasons known only to God and to that preacher, they are envious. They are envious of what God is using another man to do. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Envy is an insidious sin. And C.H. Spurgeon said, none of us really know how bad we are. One way you can tell if you have envy or not is if you compare yourself to other people. Favorably or unfavorably. First Corinthians chapter three. For ye are yet carnal. This is verse number three. Chapter three, verse three. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Hold on a second, Paul. What are you talking about? Envying and strife. Oh, let me explain. He says, for while one saith, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? He said, you know, the the idea of separating out into factions, into groups, I got my favorite preacher, that's my boy right there. He dropped the word. Carnality. You say, we're not allowed to have favorite preachers? Yes, you are. Me. (laughs) 
Amen. We all have favorite preachers. But Paul said, if you line up into camps according to what kind of preacher you like, you are an, a carnal believer. I don't care who, I don't care who it is. That, that does not to say that Paul and Apollos are not a blessing. They are. They are ministers that God gave to every man. One of the privileges of traveling around, you run into, when I was growing up, you run into all different kinds of camps. There are so many little groups of, of churches all over America, not, let alone the world, and, and they, ha- they all have their guy, they all have their person that they look up to, and, and, so, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea that mine is better than yours is the basis of envy. Envy. Envy comes from comparing myself with someone else. If you compare yourself with someone else, you are in danger of being envious. Now, you can look at someone and say, thank God they're working hard, and I'm going to labor more abundantly. I want to do more. Thank God for that person. You can, in, in the yoke, some, some competition of, I see what you're doing, I'm going to do it. We're provoking one another to good works. But this goes far beyond that. Because envy believes that someone else is getting what I deserve. Money, popularity, a position, wisdom, skill, spiritual maturity. It's not fair that they get it. Envy is bothered by excellence or happiness in others. I don't like the fact that she's so happy. You're envious. You're envious. When we envy others, we cannot bear to see them prosper. Because it makes us feel badly about ourselves. In 1638, I believe it was, a guy named George Herbert wrote so many poems, he should have been arrested. But he's a very interesting writer. And he wrote a book called The Country Parson. And he said in that book, just a couple lines, he said, Envy not greatness, for thou makest thereby thyself the worse, and so the distance greater. It's a phenomenal thought. When you envy someone, you are making them better than yourself, and you are creating a greater distance. You are making yourself worse when you envy someone else for having more than you do. The reason why you have two parts to it, you hate the fact that they have it, and you hate the fact that you don't have it. That could be a ministry. That could be a a spouse, that could be kids, that could be a job, that could be a personality, that could be hair. It could be anything. Envying someone. An envious person not only wants what another person has, it also resents that person for having it. It is an attitude of ill will that leads to division and strife and even murder. The Bible tells us that Cain was envious of Abel. Because his own works were evil. The envious man thinks that if his neighbor breaks a leg, he will be able to walk better himself. And a really envious person doesn't care if he ever walks. He just wants his neighbor to break his legs. I mean, you can get to the point where you don't care about being better. You want that person down. You want them out of the picture. You want to destroy them. 
It doesn't start there. It grows there. Envy is like ivy. It grows and grows and grows and grows. And it will take over. Like the kudzu vine they brought over from Japan to try to help cut down, to try to, rather to provide some vegetation in the south where it was so barren. Guess what happened? It took over. And now it chokes out all the other vegetation. It's like the carp they put there to have some wildlife, to have some fish to swim. And what happens? They take over everything. It takes over your heart. Before you know it, you are living your life to prove that you're just as good as another person. That's a, that's a terrible way to live. You will live in constant competition. You will hate yourself and you will hate the other person for existing. But some people are motivated that way. Go back to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30. We'll see the second mention of envy in the Bible. Genesis chapter 30. In, in, in chapter 29, you find that Leah has just had her fourth child, her fourth son. Although she was not the first choice of Jacob, her husband, but she's had four sons and Rachel's had none. Verse 30, chapter 30, verse 1, when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. He said, am I in God's stead who hath withheld thee from the fruit of the womb? That's a great question to ask yourself. If God didn't want you to have what you envy, why are you pretending like that person is God? Why do you look at that person as omnipotent, as unmovable, as unchangeable? There's nothing that you can do. You hate that person for what they have and what they do and, and, that, and for having a possession that you wish you had. Hey, are they in God's stead? You know what Rachel said to Jacob? She said, give me, I would rather die than not have children. And I want you to give them to me. You realize how selfish she is? How short-sighted she is? There is no other reason for me to be alive unless I can have that. Look what she says in verse 8. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. <laughs> I beat her. Jacob, not, not important. He just means to an end. My relationship with my husband doesn't mean a thing. My relationship with my children doesn't mean a thing. What means the most to me is beating my sister. She's got four kids, and I got none. And I'm just telling you that ain't right. I'm prettier than her. Bible says so. I was the first choice of Jacob. Do with that as you will, Leah. All I'm telling you is I'm better and you know it. Man alive. We've got to be careful in our hearts. Because her relationship with Jacob was only a means to an end. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife. The reason why they love Jesus Christ, or they say they love Jesus Christ, the reason why they do all that they do is to be seen of other people as better. I'm a better Christian than you. <laughs> yeah, I don't do what you do. I do better than you. 
I give out more tracts. I, I give more. I've been at it much longer. I'm faithful. Now, may, that may, none of those things may have been yours, and you may be secretly hiding in your heart saying, ha-ha, you didn't mention mine. That's how good envy can be. Envy can keep you in the ministry. <laughs> faithful in the ministry. Why? Because ain't nobody going to beat you. You're not the quitting kind. You're not the kind of person who takes it lying down. Oh, yeah, you may have lost this or that. You may not, you may not be in the limelight right now, but there's coming a time, I can tell you right now, there's coming a time when, when God himself is going to put the spotlight on you. And you say, who would ever think that? Well, no one would ever admit that. No one is ever going to come out and say, I hate you because you're better than me. But that's why you hate him. That's why you can't stand her is because you, you believe that she's better. No, no, I just think she thinks she's better. Well, who cares what she thinks? You're not using her brain, you're using yours. Isn't that amazing how envy can take hold of a believer and crush them? Choke the life out of them. All the while, they're being faithful to God. Some people are just motivated by competition. But that envy will lead to strife over and over again in Scripture. Envying and strife, envying and strife. Why? One naturally leads to the other. Strife is persistent contention. A spirit of competitive, competitiveness that fights to have its own way. And it comes from a deep desire to prevail over others, to gain the highest prominence and recognition that's possible. Wrath is cruel, Proverbs says, and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Envy will cut down anyone in its place. The great apostle Paul. Was being mocked and resented and hated for serving Jesus Christ. Who is able to stand before envy? For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You want to know why your heart is confused? It could be because of envy. You know why nothing makes sense in your life? It could be. Because you have a desire to be better than someone else. Or maybe a group of people. And it powers you. It drives you. And it's brought you far. I mean, it's, it's taken you. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It, it wakes you up in the morning to prove that you're not a wimp. You're not inferior to them. She's not any smarter than you are. They're not richer than you. They, they don't have the skills that you have. You have something inside of you. And you're going to show the world. Envy is an inward sin. You can't look at a picture of a guy or a girl and say, they're envious. I mean, you'd have to be like someone have to be literally looking over at something else. It's very difficult to tell envy. These, these people here are preaching Christ but their motive is wrong. Their attitude is wrong. Go with me back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. He said, These brethren in the Lord, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. 
He said, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, verse 17, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Some people serve God because they love him and they love God's people. And if you're an envious person, it might be really hard to swallow that. It might be really difficult to imagine that there are people out here, out there in the world, who do the right thing because they love God. You might have a really hard time hanging out with those people. You think they're fake. You think they're hiding something because you're hiding something. These people said, we're, Apostle Paul, we're so sorry that you ended up in jail. Yeah, maybe you're a little hasty in Jerusalem and you, you could have calmed down a little bit and listened to the Holy Spirit, but... Hey, we feel for you, and we love you, brother. Onesiphorus went to seek for Paul in Rome, and and, and apparently there was such a gap between Paul and the church there at this time, maybe between the leaders, that it wasn't very well known where Paul was. He had to seek him out very diligently in Rome. Has anybody seen Paul? Nobody's going to visit him. He's on his own, but Onesiphorus went and found him. Sought him out. He said, Paul, I heard about your problems, man. I want to let you know I love you. This group was sympathetic towards Paul. And they, they wanted God's good will to be done. They wanted sinners to be saved. They wanted Christians to be strengthened and edified. They're not envious of other preachers. They're just proclaiming the truth. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Christian, can I encourage you, coming from someone who knows, life in the world of envy is miserable. There's a better way. You can have a heart full of love, full of goodwill, of sincerity, of truth. You can have a heart full of peace. You can actually get to the point in your life where you're glad that God is working anywhere and everywhere. Your heart is open. You see, it's not, well, those people, an envious person will look at someone like that and say, yeah, you're just not willing to, to, to saddle up and soldier up. You're not discerning. You're, you're not tough enough. We need some soldiers of Jesus. Yeah, we do. We do. We need some soldiers who have so much love in their heart that that love can cover a multitude of sins. It can cover wrath. It can cover even envy itself. You see, love, serving God out of love, is the most powerful motive that you can have. Charity doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Christian, are you the kind of person that's sensitive Anytime anyone says something about doing something for God, you have to go back and say, well, I did that once. Yeah, I did that actually three times, and I did that before you were ever born. You may never say that out loud, but in your mind, anytime you hear of a Christian who's done something well, who's graduated from college, who, who has earned a promotion, who's seen someone saved or baptized, who's been discipling someone, who's encouraged someone, who's had a child, who's got a new car. Anytime you see, if you're the kind of person that has to kind of devalue that and say, well, there's a reason why they got that and I didn't. Do you have to constantly compare yourself? And to, can, I, can I tell you why you do that? 
you do that because you have not found your value in Jesus Christ. You don't believe that you are complete in him. You believe that he got a good thing started, but it's up to you to really kick that thing into high gear. It's a miserable way to live. God doesn't want your heart filled with strife. He wants your heart filled with charity. In verse number 18, Paul comes to the conclusion. He says, what then? What are we supposed to do when you got people who are preaching the gospel and their hearts are filled with envy and they want to fight? And you got people that are preaching the gospel who are sincere and they're doing doing so out of love. What are we supposed to do? What then? Notwithstanding, notwithstanding. If you could take one word and put it on your rearview mirror in your car and on your refrigerator, put it on your phone, put it everywhere you go, this would be a good word to put there. Notwithstanding. Notwithstanding. You know, he said, I'm not going to withstand those people. I'm not going to stand against them and fight them. They want to fight, I'm not fighting. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take what they do for God, and I'm going to separate it from their motives, and I'm going to thank God for what they do, notwithstanding whether in pretense or in truth, whether they're just fakers, whether they're posers, they're not real Bible believers, They're not good Christians. I'm going to separate what they do from who they are inside. And I'm going to praise God for what they do. This is a huge lesson for us as Bible believers. I'm talking about independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, rightly dividing, King James Bible believers. This is a very important lesson for us to get. Are you hearing me? We've got to separate what people do from the reasons Why? There's no way for you to know 100% sure what a person's motivation is anyhow. You don't even know what your motivation is. How are you supposed to figure out what their motivation is? He says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Christ is preached. Hey, listen, they could be preaching uh, nature worship, but they're not. They could be preaching humanism and man worship, but they don't. They they could preach about Buddha and being reincarnated. And you could get good karma by supporting charities. Apparently that's a thing now in our culture. That's Buddhism. That's that's Hinduism. They could be preaching that, but they don't. They're preaching Christ. They could be preaching about Muhammad and Islam. But they don't. They they could be preaching Mormonism. They could be echoing the lie of Satan in Genesis chapter 3. Ye shall be as gods. But they don't preach that. They preach Christ. He said, I'm going to be happy about what they do right. I'm going to rejoice in what they do. Hey, listen, Jonah went down to Nineveh, and and, and he went down not believing that anyone would repent. He went down hating the Ninevites. He went down and, 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 and against God's command, he rebelled. God dragged him to do it. He preached a very short message. That's how you know he didn't really want to be a preacher. He preached a very short message, got out of the way, And said, it's not going to happen anyhow. I'm going to go up here and wait for God to judge them all. And every single man, woman, boy, and girl in Nineveh repented and believed God. Believed the word of God. And what did Jonah do? He sat out there and whined and complained and was mad about that. 
Hey, listen, what do you think about Jonah? Well, I think, I think his heart is obviously not right. I think, his, I think he's not worth the time of day. But I'm glad I didn't stand in his way when he preached to the Ninevites. I'm glad I didn't call him out and say, Jonah, you're an idiot. I'm glad I didn't stop him and try to rebuke him. Yeah, his heart was wrong. But God used him anyhow. A guy who didn't want to go. A guy who didn't love people he was preaching to. A guy who got mad at God. He's a mess from start to finish. He's a rat. And yet God used him. You see, it doesn't really matter who is doing what and why they're doing. Notwithstanding, Paul did not get hung up on the fighters. You know what I should focus on? I should focus on sincerely preaching the gospel in love. You know what I'd rather do sometimes? I'd rather talk about how they're not preaching the real gospel than I would actually go out and preach the gospel. I'd rather write a blog post about how people are not doing what they should be doing than than go out and do what I know I should be doing. Yes, there's a place for calling out heresy. Yes, there's a place to stand up and earnestly contend for the faith. But that should not be the core foundational part of what I do for Christ. It ought to be love. It ought to be truth. It ought to be sincerity. Notwithstanding. Listen, if someone needs to be brought down, God can bring them down. If you're aware of what they're doing against God, don't you think God is aware of it? Of course he is. There's a judgment seat of Christ that's coming where all that stuff is going to get sorted out. And guess what? My stuff is going to get sorted out too. That doesn't mean I have to say, well, we're all, everything's okay. Nobody's really, nobody really knows. Paul said some are preaching Christ of envy and strife. It's, it's important for us to be able to know that. But we can't relish that thought and live in that thought. Yes, it is true that there are some who are competitive, who want to beat us, who want to bring us down. They're not doing it for the right reasons. They just want to fight. They want to have what we have. And more importantly, they don't want us to have what we have. Okay, that may be true. And Paul said, the Holy Spirit tells us that it is true. There are some that do that. Notwithstanding, Christian. Notwithstanding, Hope Baptist Church. Notwithstanding me. Christ is preached. Where should we land? That's where we should land. Whatever the heart motive of that preacher, that individual is at least preaching about the true and living Savior, the one and only Son of God, sent into the world to die for sinners, the one who conquered sin and death and hell and the grave, and he rose triumphantly, and anyone who puts their faith in him can be saved eternally. Thank God they're preaching that, because that's the best message anybody's ever heard. Our primary focus should be Christ. Christ is preached. That's the joy of Paul's heart. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. That's the Christ that we preach. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This was a different kind of man. 
God anointed Jesus of Nazareth of the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. Having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, not Paul, not Apollos, not insert favorite preacher, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. The choir sang it this morning. Only one has the power to save. Only one has the the right to be worshipped. And to be preached about, it's Jesus Christ. It's no man, it's no woman, it's no philosophy or church or creed. It is Christ and Christ alone who is worthy to be preached. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Not strife and contention and envy. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Here's a clue to the secret of Paul's joy. And the petty preachers wanted to steal it. The clue was this. His steadfast focus on Christ and the gospel. You see, when your eyes are fixed vertically, vertically on Jesus... The things of earth grow strangely dim. By the grace of God, Paul said, and I join with his voice, I am not going to stop serving Jesus Christ because someone else is doing it wrong. I'm going to serve him because he's worthy to be served. I'm going to serve him because I love him, and I love him because he loved me. Christian, where do you stand If you were to be, this church, this congregation this morning were to be divided between lovers and fighters, and your heart was manifested, where would you fall? Serving Christ out of envy and strife, or serving him out of goodwill and love? Let me give you a couple thoughts 
in closing about envy. You can overcome that harmful attitude of envy, but you have to first identify it. You've got to recognize that it's there. It's not because your older brother or sister was a big problem. It's because of you. It's not because some other Christian is standing in your way that you have envy. It's a problem because of your heart. You've got to identify it. Number two, if you are experiencing envy and strife, you need to confess it as sin. Tell God, this is a sin. Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Number three, steadfastly refuse to compare yourself with other people. Stop doing it. Stop doing it favorably or unfavorably. Stop comparing yourself to others. If you do that, you are not wise, he said. Stop doing it. Stop looking to see how high you can jump compared to other people. Stop looking at how long your hair is compared to other people or how beautiful you are. Stop comparing yourself. It's a sin. God made you who you are. Stop wishing you were someone else. Stop seeking another person's identity or personality or children or home or ministry. Be thankful for who you are and what God has given you. Refuse to compare yourself. Number four, be happy for others when they succeed. Be happy for them. Force yourself to feel awkward in their presence and walk up to them and say, I'm glad that that happened to you. That's going to help cut down on envy. It's going to leave room for some joy in your heart. Stop looking at everyone and say, well, it must be nice. That attitude is going to choke you out. Be thankful for them. Send them a card. Somebody gets a promotion, gets a new car. Well, the new card that we won't. Be thankful for them. Here's, here's, a great, here, here's a great phrase to use. And I learned this one from my wife. Good for them. Good for them. If you can say that without sarcasm, you can leave room for love. Hey, hasn't God really been good to you? Here's a shocker. There are people that envy you and wish they had what you had. Can you imagine someone wasting away their life wishing they were you? How miserable must they be? How miserable must we be? Hey, get shed of envy. Throw it out. And lastly, most importantly, rejoice in Christ. Find your satisfaction in God. What, what, what a Savior who has allowed us to be in His family who has purchased for us our redemption with his own blood. What a privilege. Stop wishing you were somebody else and be thankful that you are who you are, a son of God. Eat will be with him forever and ever in eternity. What a glorious existence we have because we know him. Rejoice in Christ. Christ is preached and you can find joy in that. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning?